You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. And uh, great to have you here with us tonight. This has already been said twice, but I thought I'd add my, uh, uh, my weight to the welcome. I don't know how many of you have ever heard the story of a, a man who had a particularly favourite donkey. And uh, one day this donkey was wandering around and this donkey wasn't paying attention to where it was particularly going and fell in this deep, wide precipice. And the farmer was absolutely horrified. And so he thought to himself, I'll, I'll get some ropes and we'll pull the donkey out. So he tried and tried and there wasn't enough energy. No, no one could lift this donkey up and the donkey wanted to get out. The donkey was crying, help me, help me in donkey language. e or kind of his donkey speak. And um, the, uh, the farmer tried and tried and tried and then in the end thought, well, you know something, we're never going to get the donkey out of this, this hole, so best thing to do is just to bury the thing alive. Otherwise, you know, it'll get stinky and smelly and the like. So he had a, a there was a pile of dirt nearby, he got his um, wheelbarrow and shovel and started bringing wheelbarrows full of dirt over to the precipice and just shoveling the dirt off in over the donkey. Figured the donkey will die, you know, best thing bury it so that it keeps the smell from escaping and, and so forth. And what the donkey was doing at the bottom there, the donkey would feel the soil come on its back and the donkey would just go like this and shake it off and then would step up <laughs> and he would wait again and then in a short space of time along would come another wheelbarrow, the wheelbarrow would be poured open and the donkey would do the same thing, shake it off and step up. Well this happened time and time again over the course of several hours. And by the time the sun was going down, it was getting late in the day, the donkey suddenly realised just a little bit of a step up and I'm out of the precipice and I'm back eating my favourite grass in my favourite paddock. And the moral of the story, of course, is if you can learn to shake it off and step up, then no matter what hole you're in, nothing can keep you down. Or to put it another way, what doesn't cling to you can't bury you. What doesn't cling to you can't bury you. Uh, sometimes I think in life, we need to get sort of God in us. We might define it as full of the Holy Spirit, full of that oil. Because how many know stuff happens, right? How many of you this week have had stuff happen? How many of you today have had stuff happen? You know, people have thrown dirt at you or, or, or life has thrown a, a pile of mud at you, so to speak. And you, you've got a choice. It either sticks to you and over time buries you or you shake it off and you step up. You know, Jesus on three occasions said to his disciples to shake the dust off their feet. Interesting, eh? Why would you say that? Why would you tell someone to shake the dust off their feet? It's a funny thing to do, particularly in the, the dusty plains of, of Palestine, because there was so much dust. But he said, if this town, if they reject your message, walk out of that town and dust your feet. Take the dirt off your feet. And then what do you do? You go walk, walk them back in the dirt and get filled with dirt again. Um, so what was the point of that? This was a physical action that has had a spiritual application. This is difficult to comprehend and somewhat counterintuitive maybe for many of you here tonight, but there can be a spiritual application to a physical action. 
is this really ringing badly? Can we either fix it at the back there or I'll just change microphones, whatever you prefer. Is this ringing badly? Yeah, no, yes, no. Is that better? Okay, all right. Um, uh, a physical action can have a spiritual effect. That's why Jesus was saying these, these followers of his, dust the, the, um, dust the dirt off your feet and then just continue on with your journey. It was a physical action that would somehow deal with the fact that they just experienced rejection. Now, Jesus said this to his disciples. And funnily enough, a guy by the name of Paul, who became a very famous follower of Jesus Christ, wrote many letters that constitute what we know as the New Testament. Um, he did the same thing, but he was never told to do it by Jesus, but he did it anyway. Like, where did he get the idea from? Uh, it says in, in the book of Acts, which was a uh, historical record of his life, basically, and others, it says, so they took the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection, and went on to the town of Ikenum, Acts chapter 13, verse 51. In other words, they'd gone to this town, they'd rejected the message, they'd left that town, they dusted off their feet, as Jesus had told his disciples to do, and they went on to another town. This wasn't Jesus' idea. Jesus had stolen this idea from Jewish history, from the custom of, of the culture. Uh, Many Jews would do this as they walked back into what was the physical, uh, what was the physical nation of, 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 of Palestine. As they came from a foreign nation, they would literally go through the ceremony of dusting the foreign soil off their feet and then they'd walk back on their home soil as a sign that we're leaving this behind and we're moving back into what God has called us to. As a matter of fact, in, in ancient times, soil was considered spiritual. Now, if it is or not, I, I don't know. Um, it may have a spiritual uh, uh, aspect to it, location, maybe. Uh, one of the reasons why we're never going to solve the problem in the Middle East, and it will, has, has been around for thousands of years, it will continue to be around, is because uh, the, the belief structure of the people sees that soil as holy. So you can't compromise on something that you consider to be holy, right? So we're saying give up that holy piece of ground for peace. Well, they can't give it up because for them, it's holy. Now, now we don't really comprehend that. It's not in our worldview. It's not in our train of thinking. But that was some of the reason behind this. But I want to look at the, this ability of Paul to shake off what happened to him and move on. The reason I want to do it is because I actually believe that tonight in this place, there are people who've got to shake some stuff off. And if you don't shake it off, it's going to bury you. Uh, there are people in this room tonight, I want to suggest, uh, and that you've got some issues going on in your family. And if you don't shake it off, it's going to bury the relationship. There are people here tonight, and you've got some issues going on in your spiritual walk, so to speak. There's some stuff going on between you and God. And you're almost to a point where you've made this deal with God that says, okay, God, there, but no further. God, I'm hanging on to this because I enjoy this, but you're not, you can have that, but you can't have this. And if you can't shake that off, it's going to bury you. I want to look at a, a, one little episode from Paul's life and see how he had this incredible ability to shake it off and then give you a chance to follow his example and then we can go home. Uh, but... Before I read from the passage of Acts, which is the historical account of this, I'll give you just some insight into what's happened before we drop in on the, on the, the story. Paul's on his way to Rome. Um, he'd been arrested in Jerusalem. 
and he appealed to Caesar in Rome because Jerusalem was under Roman occupation so that Caesar was the boss and, he, and Paul had a, a Roman citizenship so they had to send him back to Rome. Now he was doing this within the confines of God's will I want to suggest to you because he, when he got to Rome he would find himself in a, the middle of a complete pagan culture. Uh, they had their own gods they had their own forms of ritual. Uh, Caesar was a god, if you will. And he's going to go there and he's going to preach about Jesus Christ. And he's going to do so profoundly well that 2,000 years later, there are more crosses in the city of Rome than any other city on the planet. As Paul's going there in the story, there's not one cross. Okay, Jesus has been um, crucified. It's history. He's risen from the dead. Many have seen it. Paul had an experience with it and Paul became somebody who persecuted the church and someone who propagated the church. He got arrested for his preaching and he's being sent to Rome. And when he gets there, he's going to be under house arrest and he's going to start the church in Rome. And some people today would say that it was the epicenter or the capital of the church on the world, you know, the Holy See. Now, whether or not that's true, the point simply is that Rome became a, a great stronghold of Christianity over the thousands of years from then until now and at this point nobody even really knows the name of Jesus in Rome and Paul's heading there in a boat chained as a prisoner and, he, and they sail into a storm and it's a horrific storm right I mean it's absolutely devastating I'm just not talking about big waves that give you a bit of a sick stomach I don't know how many of you have ever been in the boat where you, you sort of had that situation my wife and I were travelling once from Townsville out, out to Green Island and the, and the, the uh, storm and the, uh, the waves were so big that I was out, <laughs> I was no good and we had a, a small child and a baby at the time and uh, Francine was just about out, I was out, she was about to go out, the baby was there, she literally threw our baby into the arms of a foreign man who we'd never met before in our life. <laughs> Sir, save my child, for I'm about to die. <laughs> and she disappeared down into the... Blah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was horrible. Suffice to say, when we got to Green Island, we had to buy some resort wear. Uh, <laughs> just leave it like that. Because uh, we couldn't continue wearing the clothes that we were wearing at the time. But anyhow. So, you know, we've been in some... You know, but nothing like this. This was so bad that the ship is literally starting to break apart. What they're doing is they're getting pieces of rope and they're trying to rope together some pieces of timber to hang on so that they stay alive. And this is, this, I don't know, this, this thing that, that my wife and I experienced, it went on for maybe an hour or so. This has gone on for 14 days, right? 14 days floating in the Mediterranean Sea in the midst of this horrific storm. And finally, finally, they find sure. And what happens? Let's have a look. This is amazing. It says, once we were safe on shore and we learned that we were on the island of Malta. So they tell you exactly where they were. You can go to the island of Malta today in the Mediterranean Sea. This is a historic account. The people of the island were very kind to us, as I guess you would be, Right? I mean, these bodies basically wash up on the shore. What are you going to do? Slap them? <laughs> right? I mean, of course you're going to be kind to these people who have just hung on for their life. You would hope, anyhow. Um, it says it was cold and rainy. 
Fair enough. It's a storm. Of course it's cold and rainy. So they build a fire on the, sh- on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered armfuls of sticks and was laying them on the fire. Oh, we didn't have it up there. It is, I think you do have that scripture there. If you wanted to put it up, that would be helpful. It doesn't matter now. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. What, what strikes me is so bizarre about that is that um, Paul has got to shore with his life intact, but that's about it. He's cold. He's hungry. Uh, he hasn't been on, uh, on steady ground uh, for weeks and for the last two weeks has been fighting a storm. He gets to this foreign land he doesn't know these people they see how beaten and bruised this group is and what does Paul do Paul shakes off the storm and collects sticks to help them with the fire go think about that would you do that I'd be going oh thank you thank you how kind you I'd be just lying there trying to get myself together wouldn't you But here's the thing, and and this is what I want you to understand tonight. This is the thing that strikes me from this passage. Is that Paul was so committed to the service of people that he was able to shake off the storms of life. And as soon as he was on solid ground, as soon as he had the ability to serve, he's not sitting there and being waited upon, but he's sitting there, but rather he's up and he's being part of the answer. He's stoking the fire. The fire's supposed to be for him. He's the one who's cold. He's the one who's drowning. He's the one who's shipwrecked. But he's there being part of the answer. Because Paul understood something. See, what doesn't cling to you can't bury you. And Paul was not going to let his circumstances keep him from what he's called to do, and that serve other people. I want to suggest you tonight this. I want to suggest you tonight, it's just not Paul who's called to serve other people. We're all called to serve other people. I'm called to serve other people. You're called to serve other people. But do you know what will stop us being, uh, from serving other people? Storms. Oh, I've had such a hard week, Pastor. Oh, man, just give me a seat out of my way. Somebody help me. You don't know how hard it's been. I haven't eaten for two weeks. <laughs> I've been hanging on with all grim life to this stick to keep me afloat for the last three days. I've only just made it to church. I can't serve a living soul. I'm half dead myself. That was never his attitude. Whilst you could understand it, right? I mean, you wouldn't have blamed him had he just sort of sat there and got his breath. But he was up and he was Adam, he was up and he was serving, he was up and part of the answer. You have the ability to shake off adversity so much more than you understand. You, you, need, to, you, need, to, uh, not, you need to make the decision that adversity will not direct the, 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 uh, the decisions of my life. Because storms are going to come. There are some that say that storm was whipped up by the devil. Now, I have no way of proving that one way or the other, but I do know this. 
I do know that there's a force out there that wants me not to serve other people and it will cause all sorts of things to come thundering into my life to keep me from doing it. I've got to tell you folks, there's a bad storm and there's less people in church. <laughs> oh, we couldn't have come tonight, it was, it was raining. <laughs> and I'm not one to poke fun at you if you didn't come last night because it was raining, that's not my point. But uh, my, my point simply was that... Uh, if you're waiting for the best weather, if you're waiting for the right opportunity to serve other people, you'll never serve any other people because Satan will make sure there's always a storm coming. They'll keep you always focused on yourself. It'll keep you always worried about yourself. People always concerned about what kind of a day you're having. Uh, you know, are you happy? Are you going okay? Paul came out of a 14-day storm and we see him here serving the common good. I just think that is incredible. And I think that's something that we are all far more capable of than we perhaps give ourselves credit for. Don't use storms as an excuse not to serve. Let me just put that out there. He goes on and he says this, right? So he's there and he's getting the sticks and he's stoking the fire for himself and for, and for those who had him under arrest. Uh, for those soldiers and those who were supposed to be overseeing him. It says this, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. A poisonous snake, snake latches onto his arm. And uh, I want to just say this, that if storms won't stop you, then snakes will. Uh, you say, well, what do you mean by a snake? What is a snake? Because, you know, I haven't been bitten by a snake for, for a long time. <laughs> I'm talking about snake in a metaphorical sense. Uh, uh, if I can take you back in time to the Garden of Eden, where you have the serpent in the garden telling Eve, you know, don't you want to be smart as God? And the serpent tripped up Eve, and then Eve tripped up Adam and so forth. That's what I mean by a snake. What I'm talking about is those negative thoughts that come and tell you that you don't matter, that you're not as clever or you're not as gifted or you're not as talented or you're not as fortunate as other people. Those thoughts that come into your mind to tell you you don't belong or that somehow you know, you've been frowned upon by God. Those thoughts that come along and try to undermine your confidence or those ideas that come into your head that cause you to rebel against God. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about snakes. You know, you get a thought in your mind about lust, say. And this thought will tell you that unless you kind of um, feed that lust, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be satisfied. You, the, the, unless you kind of, you know, get that thing, unless you satisfy that greed, your life is never going to be filled with satisfaction again. And these thoughts will kind of position themselves in your mind over and over and over and over. You've just got to take another look. You've just got to go again. You've just got to go again. Just one more time. These thoughts will take you over and over and over again. And they will dominate your life. And they're snakes. They're snakes that were forced upon you by the heat of your heart for God. See, if you're going to go for God, the heat that that generates is going to force snakes out. And those snakes are going to try to latch onto you to stop you from serving other people. Uh, this guy here, uh, Paul, he shakes off this snake. I'll show you in a minute. And, uh, and the next thing you know, the chief um, of, of the island has him in, in his house praying for this sick person, uh, this sick child of, of the chiefs, and the sick child recovers. And the only reason that happened was that Paul was able to shake off the snake. 
I've got to tell you, your hands are hands that God has called to serve others and to heal others and to give life to others. But if you allow snakes to latch onto your arm, if you allow storms to, motor, uh, to direct your future, you'll never arrive at, at the opportunities God's got in store for you. You've got to be able to do, as the old Taylor Swift would say, shake it off, shake it off. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Is that how it goes? I don't know. It could well be that Taylor took her inspiration from Paul right here. As Paul was able to literally shake it off. It says the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand. It was literally hanging there. No doubt he's a murderer. He's escaped the sea. Justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake. The Bible says, but Paul shook off the snake. I want you to know tonight that you have the power and the ability to shake off snakes. I want to show you a little video. We got that video ready, ready to go. Let's get that video up. I'll tell you when to push the play button. Um, but uh, I just want to show you this video. It just goes for a little under, under two minutes. And I just want you to see yourself as that lizard, that iguana, right? And just know this. There's snakes coming after you. But if you keep your attitude right, you keep your direction right, no snake will win over you. Watch the screen. A snake's eyes aren't very good, but they can detect movement. So if the hatchling keeps its nerve, it may just avoid detection. Eventually, you get so high, the snakes can't touch you. <laughs> but as long as you're heading up, them snakes are going to chase you. <laughs> but what, what I want you to know 
again, you get this thought in your mind that kind of says, you know, I'm a slave to this. this I'm, I'm, I'm sold out to this. I can't get away from this. I can't change this. You need to know that you can get so full of God that you can just run through them snakes and keep on going. The snakes can't touch you. And that's you. Just shake them off. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Shake them off and keep going and keep going. Shake off storms. Shake off um, snakes and one last thing and then we'll do some shaking and go home. <laughs> well, you know, one of the, uh, it's, it, I already read to you in verse uh, 5 or uh, 6, it says, uh, he's a murderer. No doubt he's a murderer, <laughs> they thought. He's escaped and justice will not permit him to live, but he shakes it off and he's, it says that uh, uh, the people waited to see him swell up and suddenly drop dead. When they'd waited a long time, they saw that he wasn't harmed. They changed their minds and they decided that he was a god. (laughs) And how many know that people can be like that? One minute you're the god, the next minute you're a devil, the next minute you're the god again. (laughs) Sounds a lot like social media, doesn't it, really? You know? (laughs) Wow, those people are incredible. They're amazing. They're dirty, rotten scoundrels. And uh, it's amazing how fickle people's um, opinion of you is. Uh, But what you have to understand is that you can shake off snakes, you can shake off storms, and you can shake off the stones of people's opinions. Because <laughs> people have got opinions about you, and those opinions will bring you down if you're not careful. These people are, are, are saying, you're a murderer, Paul. You're a, you're a no-good, dirty, rotten, low-down murderer. Paul's not a murderer. Paul's an honourable man of high integrity, But the people misunderstood what was going on and sometimes you can be misunderstood and sometimes, sometimes people can develop an opinion about you that does not reflect who you or what you are. And what are you going to do? Are you going to let that opinion drag you down or are you going to shake it off? (laughs) Shake it off. (laughs) That's what he did. He he shook it off. You know, um, uh, it's true, isn't it? Uh, We spend a lot of money in our culture today on looking good right how we look is a really really big deal um you know for some reason or another women in particular spend a lot of money to make their lips look real stupid and uh <laughs> you can see them too like that <sighs> I, don't know, I don't know what that is but i heard about one woman who had just been had collagen whatever it is they stick in their lips she was traveling home on the train and she put her head out the window and beat herself to death <laughs> That, that didn't really happen. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? You know? People think that that looks really good. Eh, not so much. But, but we, we do have this obsession with beauty. That's the truth. We do. Uh, and they even reckon that the children, you know, you show children pictures of people and you show them a beautiful person, they look at that person longer. We do have beauty is power. Make no mistake, there is a power associated with beauty. But it's an intoxicating power and it's a short-lived power and, and it's, it's not really a power that's going to affect over the long term. I, I want to draw your attention just really quickly to an Old Testament story about two women. One was drop-dead gorgeous named Rachel, but she had a really plain-looking sister called Leah who apparently had cross eyes. Uh, so you had this drop-dead gorgeous like model, supermodel-looking girl and this other girl, right? And nobody wanted this other girl. Everyone wanted... This girl, because she was, she was hot, right? She was like, ha, ha, hot. <laughs> and, and so, uh, so Jacob comes along and he sees her. He goes, oh man, I've got to have that. And the, and the father says, work for me for seven years and you can have her. 
He says, okay, seven years, that's a, that's a, that's a good deal. I'll work seven years for that. She's hot. But, but the, 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 uh, uh, the father does a two-card trick uh, on the wedding day, and he marries her off to the ugly one and doesn't tell anybody. Right? She's all done up at a wedding clobber and what have you. And, and, and he marries, and he gets this girl back, and he's had a bit too much to drink, and it's dark, and he doesn't realize till tomorrow morning uh, he wakes up, he looks over, and my gosh, it's the ugly sister. <sighs> I mean, how would you feel if you're poor Leah? Your husband looks at you and goes, oh no, it's you. I feel nauseous. I thought you, you, were, thought you were the sister. So he goes, and this is a true story. You should read your Bible. And uh, he goes and has, this, you know, um, has it out with, with the father. And he said, well, listen, in our culture, the old because Leah was older, the older sister's got to get married first. So now you've taken her, now you can have the young one. So he gets, gets the goods in the end anyhow. But, um, but here's the point. Here's the point. Um, Leah, the ugly sister that nobody really wanted. Here we are, some 4,000 years later, and who's had the greatest influence? Leah had a number of children. One of Leah's children was named Reuben, and Reuben stopped Joseph from being killed. She had another child called Levi, and Levi gave birth to Moses, who led the children of Israel literally out of Egypt, became the head of a priestly tribe. She had another child called Judah, and Judah became the ancestor of King David, the greatest figure in Jewish history outside of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ came from David. Uh, from Leah came Jesus, right? The ugly one, <laughs> the one who, you know, was rejected. The, the, the one who was thought could never amount to anything, now something like one-third of the world's population ascribes some kind of devotion to Leah's offspring, the ugly one. And what does that tell you? That tells you that people's opinions don't really matter. That tells you that people get it wrong. That tells you that beauty is just skin deep and doesn't necessarily affect the future. So take the opinions of others and shake it off, shake it off. I'm just channeling Taylor. My inner Taylor's coming out here, that's all. Let me read you this and then we're sort of going to close. So we are done. Three times, this is Paul. Three times I was beaten with rods, but I shook it off. Once I was stoned. And that's rocks, not marijuana, all right? And I shook it off. Three times I was shipwrecked. I told you about once. Happened two more times. Every time I shook it off. Spent the whole night and day adrift in the sea on my own. I traveled many long journeys. I faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced dangers in the city, in the desert, and on the seas. And I faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, and I've endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And besides all this, I have the daily burden and concern for the church. But I shake it off, and I continue to move forward. And he says, therefore, since I'm surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses I strip off every weight that slows me down especially the sin or the snakes that so easily try to trip me up they're running after me as I'm running after God and they try to ensnare me about but I just push them away and I keep headed 
up. Storms. Yeah, you're going to have storms. You might have had a storm this week. Did it stop you serving people? Shake it off. Snakes. Yeah, sure. Maybe you've sinned. Yeah, maybe you've let the team down. Sure. Shake it off. We're not going to dwell there. Put it behind you and move on. Opinions. They don't like me here. They said bad things about me. I'm sure it was about me they were talking. (laughs) Shake it off and move on. Don't let that depression stay. You have an ability to shake it off so far beyond your appreciation of yourself. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 